The following podcast is for healthcare professionals only. All views expressed belong to our speakers and don't necessarily reflect those of Nestle Health Science. Hello and welcome to Inside Medical Nutrition Podcast, a podcast powered by Nestle Health Science and hosted by me, Dr. Linia Patel. In today's episode, we'll be discussing supporting nutrition and hydration for residents with dysphagia in care homes. And for this episode, I'm delighted to have an expert in the field. I'm joined by Sophie Murray, who is a Quality Improvement and Regulatory Manager at Signature Senior Lifestyle. So just to begin the podcast, why don't you just tell us about yourself? Tell us about this fascinating um, skill set that you have and how you got into each of the different fields and talk us through, um, through your career. I t- do you know, I think hospitality and care are quite joined up. So whilst I started off um, in hospitality, I just was fascinated by care, particularly mental health. Um, okay. So I went down the lines and I qualified as a nurse, which I still am. Um, and then... So you qualified as a nurse first or did you become a chef first? No, I'm actually not a chef. I've just had the massive good fortune of working with them. I studied hospitality management. Okay. Um, so more front of house, probably. Okay. And then, yeah, so I, I, I studied that. I became a nurse. And as time went on, um, I was working within the, the care industry, absolutely loving it. Um, okay. But then whilst I was on maternity leave, um, just it seemed like the right time to open a restaurant, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> so... So restaurant came along as well. Um, no longer have restaurant. The chef took that over and it's still going really well. Okay. Um, but it was a fantastic experience. Um, so I think it's just hospitality and care are just so well aligned that I love both. Fantastic. And so were you working as a nurse while you're doing the restaurant work or not? I was by then I, I was project managing in the care industry um, okay. and, and the restaurant um, and, and baby came too. Wow. And so so what are you doing now? So right now I'm working for Signature Senior Lifestyle, so uh, a care group um, with 36 sites through the UK. Goodness. Um, All over the UK? All over the UK, but generally speaking, London-centric and south. Um, So, yes, so I, I don't need to travel quite so far anymore and it is it's absolutely lovely being out in the industry um and doing what we can to make quality of life as best possible um and I just have a lovely role really comfortably working between nurses and care staff and chefs just to help bring anything together and improve the nutrition as much as possible yeah it sounds like a unique role as well yeah so day to day what does your day look like it's I suppose it's half 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 at home and half out supporting sites. Um, it could be going out to um, help induct new managers, new chefs, um, run training, work on any challenges they might have. Mm-hmm. Um, so if perhaps somebody is losing weight and they have particularly complex needs, um, mm-hmm. I might be working together with all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, equally networking, working with suppliers, um other providers just to see where the best practices are going on and I've still got a voluntary role as well Mm. um, with the industry which enables me to chat to so many different people to see the great things that are going on wow Um, so you talk about best practice um are you involved in any particular committees related to I suppose dysphagia or hydration so I was 
fortunate enough right back at the start with IDSI um, to be on the group helping to introduce it to the UK mm-hmm. and I'm currently on the UK reference group for IDSI now. Okay um, yeah, I know as, as part of the listeners of this podcast we've got a whole host of different people and some of them are students who don't have that much experience so what is IDSI what does it stand for? I shouldn't say IDSI should I? I should <laughs> spell it out my apologies. Um, so IDSI is International Dysphagia Diet Standardization Initiative. Okay. Um, and it was a um, a group of professionals started off ITSI okay. um, a, a few years back. Um, it's a non-mandated framework that's been adopted by the industry. Okay. Um, so it's a safety framework for texture modified foods um, that generally speaking, speech and language therapists um, are... British Dietetic Association, um, care homes, chefs, and so forth. Whenever we talk about texture modification of food or fluid, it will be with reference to the IDSI level, which okay. will mean the, the thickness level. Okay, okay. And um, I read, think I read somewhere as well that you became a quality improvement regulatory partner or manager as well. So how, how did you get involved in that and what does that entail? So that's my current role. Um, with a special interest in nutrition, hydration, so quality improvement and regulation um, for the for the care home group. Um, it, it could be very, very diverse, um, whilst much of my role is very much focusing on nutrition, hydration, quality improvement, um, and just making sure that we're moving forward in the industry with, with everything that's going on. Um, but it could be equally, I'm, I'm involved with CQC. Um, so CQC being um, Care Quality Commission, our regulators, um, and looking at their um, requirements um, to support the sites to achieve that. Sophie, tell me, what is the prevalence of malnutrition in the community? Okay, so it's a big problem. So it's estimated that uh, malnutrition affects over 3 million people in the UK. Um, And of these, about 1.3 million are over 65. And then when you break that down to care homes, that could mean that 30 to 42% of people admitted to care homes are at risk of malnutrition or malnourished. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've talked about um, dysphagia impacting nutrition in terms of exacerbating malnutrition. Um, Is there anything else of how uh, dysphagia can impact nutrition and hydration in patients? So I think nutrition impacts people um, who have dysphagia because just the process alone of modifying food Um, can sometimes reduce the nutritional content as well. Um, So you've got so many different factors to consider when somebody has got dysphagia to try and make sure that they're they're enjoying their food, they're having the right support, because it could be by virtue of having dysphagia. They also have um, other support needs. They might now need help to to eat and drink. Um, I don't like using the term to be fed because I think it's got certain implications that just aren't quite so um, dignified. Mm-hmm, um, but if, mm-hmm. you d- if you need direct support, mm. that in itself is going to increase the chance of malnutrition. Yeah, and of um, course, of course. And are there common warning signs that need to be considered when somebody um, is having problems swallowing? So the one is to identify the warning signs that the, the care staff are trained around identifying dysphagia. Um, perhaps when somebody is 
um, excessively chewing and it could be sometimes spitting out their food. Um, it may be that somebody is um, excessive drooling. Um, ah, okay. It, it could be that they're pocketing food in their pocketing food, yeah, in their mouth. Um, it could be avoidance of food. Um, it mm. could be that, that you know are leaning towards certain textures naturally. So mm. all of those things. If something, if somebody isn't getting through their food, mm. looking at the reasons why um, and reporting on and making sure you've got the right health professionals involved, um, which in this case would be the speech and language therapist. Okay, um, being the only people who actually diagnose dysphagia. Okay. Okay, so speech and language therapists, they do the diagnosis, you work quite closely with them. And I guess they're working quite closely with care homes as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I think like with um, so many wonderful health professionals, um, you know, the resource isn't necessarily um, as widely available as as you would want. So sometimes there is a delay, sometimes there is a wait for a speech and language therapist to come in. Um, So you have to ensure that that care teams and, and nursing teams are sufficiently trained to keep people safe. Um, and whilst they're not, um, they're not qualified to assess and diagnose, um, they can still identify what the problems yeah. are to maintain safety. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think sometimes there's a common mis- uh, misconception that actually nutrition and hydration is just uh, a dietitian's role, um, but it's not, is it? No, not at all. Um, again, you know, the, the dietitians are very much um, assigned to the community, to care homes, um, but they're brought in when you have a problem, generally speaking. Um, so it's, it's very much within the sites, um, the, depending on the training they have around nutrition. I mean, my background is as I, do, I have a degree in nutrition um, or nutritional Just medicine. to add to it all. <laughs> just to add to it or just a, a bit of a hobby when I was, yeah. Um, so that's, so I do, I'm a, a qualified nutritional therapist um, working within sites to improve nutrition. I'm not a dietitian. Um, I just, again, have the absolute pleasure of working with numerous dietitians um, to help align it. So so we would go to a dietitian generally when there is an issue that we perhaps couldn't manage in-house. But given that that food is very much chefs and catering and hospitality arena, um, it's up to us to try and get the food first and, and help people no matter what their issues are to eat and drink and enjoy eating and drinking so food first approach Mm -hmm. yeah and why is it uh, particularly more challenging to manage uh, dysphagia patients within a care home setting do you think I think within any setting it's a challenge within care homes I know a little bit more about Um, and you've simply got to make sure that you cater for their needs um, to begin with Um, so you've got to have a a skilled set of, um, of chefs Um, to be able to cater for needs and I think for the individual themselves if they're very aware of their condition and they're seeing other people consuming regular textured food that can be um, not as pleasant for them Um, so I think there's 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 multiple needs and making sure that if you haven't got the kitchen right beside where the restaurant is um, that once you produce that food that's texture modified, then it maintains the right level of modification while it's transitioning from the kitchen. It may go to a hot trolley um, and then be served to somebody. Um, so you've got to make sure that that plated food is produced by catering um, and it reaches that person in the right form 
and they um, eat it and they eat they it yeah yeah absolutely and it's what their choice is yeah. um so we run a, a system and it, I think it's good practice to run a system where um it's not a pre-order um because we don't necessarily know on the day um or know the day before what we actually want to eat um so we show visual plates um, and if we have, I mean, our menus have three different choices, um, a meat, a fish and a vegetarian. So that's the expectation to residents that we would show them that. Um, but also if they're um, if they have dysphagia, we would show them that in the modified content. Um, so it's, it's actually quite a task um, for catering teams to produce enough choice to show people so that they can choose their texture modified meal. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, care homes have a lot of responsibility in the management of um, patients with different nutritional and hydration needs. So it's important they, st they stay on top of it. You know, we mentioned the fact that um, the meal has to get to the patient and then they have to eat it. I mean, how do you um, encourage care homes to regularly monitor and review patients so to make sure that they're meeting their nutritional and hydration needs? And what training do they need to um, have had to make sure that they're feeling um, equipped enough to have the knowledge to look after those patients you probably touched on one of my bugbears there oh tell <laughs> um, me more. so or, or passions um so all care staff um receive training or all, all staff within care homes receive training um in the care certificate um when they begin um which will touch on fluid and nutrition um, it won't go in any great depth. It won't go in sufficient depth to fully understand dysphagia, for example, um, or indeed malnutrition to any great depth. So that is the only required um, mandated training. Thereafter, it's down to the care organisation themselves to identify what the needs are um, and to train accordingly. Um, so I would suggest that the training thereafter is then in depth around um, dysphagia, malnutrition, diabetes and other related topics to do with nutrition and hydration um, and that that's considered um, for catering teams um, nursing teams and care teams appropriately um, so when it comes to texture modified food and drink for example um, I would suggest that it's not care um, staff that modify the food um, so therefore Catering staff need particular training on how to modify and serve food safely. Um, okay. And they need in-depth training. So it's then trying to align it to job role. Yeah. And I think that feedback um, through everyone who's working from the people who are preparing the food to the people serving it, to the people who are making sure that the, the, the patient's actually eating it is really important. The communication, um, because that's when you ensure that actually they're, in, you know, um, Sam enjoyed his meal or Olivia enjoyed her meal or she didn't eat it enough because maybe the texture wasn't right or something like that that would be important wouldn't it yeah sorry I, I was just starting at that very very starting point on training but absolutely so it's it, you've got to have the feedback loop and you've got to encourage I, again I'd suggest some sort of you know whether it's a weekly meeting whether it's daily feedback whether you've got comments cards on the table and what would that feedback look like or what are they monitoring what are they reviewing to see whether this whole process is working or not I don't I mean you're reviewing on simple terms you're reviewing waste um, and you're seeing what's left on the plate um, because if perhaps somebody is less able to be verbal you could have somebody with more um you know further down their journey in dementia um and maybe they can't verbalize so that plate waste is actually great feedback on its own um 
but it could be comments cards it could be comments books um that people can write comments in it could be um the the chef who is serving and observing um at the time and seeing what people are liking um but i think you've got to put all of that together and regular meetings um, yeah. you've got to put all of that together um to actually um ensure that feedback loop and make sure that you've got the menus right um so that you're not constantly getting the same feedback on for example I don't know, lasagna and garlic bread. And if it's constantly being left over or the garlic bread's being thrown away and you're getting the feedback that it's not particularly light, change the menu. Um, you've got to be constantly responsive to it. Yeah. So you mentioned, so, you know, there's, I don't know whether you call it a challenge or an opportunity, but training seems to be an area that needs to be focused on. And at the moment, there's a basic level of training, perhaps taking that uh, a step uh, further, um, giving people more in-depth training could be perhaps what you see as an opportunity that's needed over care homes. Yeah, um, and then I guess another challenge we've talked about is is really providing that that um, choice so that the patients have a choice of meals or an opportunity perhaps, and making sure that happens. And you found that really successful in the work that you do as well. Would there be any other challenges of or, or opportunities that you can think of in the management of? Uh, patients with dysphagia in care homes? You want people to celebrate and normalise and enjoy food. Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes by virtue of talking in these clinical terms about texture modified food, actually there is an awful lot of pureed food um, that you would go into a, you know, a, a, a swanky Michelin star restaurant um, and have pureed food, but you wouldn't see it in a clinical term. So I think sometimes just trying to normalize um, softer food um, and, and try and become quite mainstay with the menu, because actually softer food is quite popular for a number of older people. Um, it, it could be because they're, you know, because of dentures, because of chewing, because of um, strength. Yeah. Um, so I think there's, there's so much that can be done around normalizing diets so that they're not so clinicalized um, and in doing so you're at, you can actually bring in the um, plant food agenda um, and eating less meat agenda which in turn is looking at the whole green green agenda yeah. um, because vegetables so many vegetables are softer um, so by bringing in that sort of diet I think it can um, it can help and I've probably digressed majorly linear <laughs> no well I want to I want you to put your catering hat and your nutritionist hat back on um and if you had if you were advising someone who was looking to prepare a texture modified diet what would your top tips be in terms of balancing the fact that perhaps it might take a little more time um, I'm not sure what your ideas are on the cost of it um and also balancing the kind of the patient's preferences um I think first and foremost it is about, I mean, we try to maintain the normal menu um, for everybody um, so that we don't single out. Um, and, and other tips would be around um, training people well with simple equipment um, and getting the right equipment to do the job properly. Um, the um, other tips is bear in mind that when you are perhaps and puree is only one texture um, within ITSI, but if you are pureeing down, you might be reducing down the nutritional content 
Um, so considering things like fibre might be reduced, particularly if you're pureeing and straining food, for example. Um, so you need to see how you can increase fibre in other ways. Um, equally, by virtue of um, heating foods um, and um, and maybe cooking some foods for longer, you might lose other key nutrients. So yeah. you might look to fortify the meal as well. Um, and when I mean fortify, I mean enrich with key nutrients. Yeah. Um, as well. So some people might add, for example, skim milk powder um, to food to increase the, the, the calcium, the vitamin D, the, the protein levels. Um, so I think there and, and taste it. If you're if you're a chef and you're producing the food, taste it um, to make sure that it's still got the flavor it needs because very often you might need to add and enhance flavors a little bit okay and how would you enhance flavors for example um it could be it could be spices um it could be herbs as long as they're the right modify um you know modification um it could be things like marmite um or stock that you're using just to just to enrich um and I mean, if you, if you were adding nutrition, um, like I say, it might be skin milk powder, it might be pea protein, um, it, it might be other factors that are just going to get maximum nutrition, particularly that this, you know, the group of individuals who have dysphagia are at risk of malnutrition as well. So you've got to get that bit right. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic tip, Sophie. Thank you very much. And if we move to hydration now, um, with summer around the corner, um, what are your top tips or top uh, do's and don'ts when we think of managing hydration in uh, dysphagia patients? Okay, so I think first off, just managing hydration per se, you've got to bear in mind in heat wave conditions, you might double your need for uh, your intake need. Um, so you know you might have doubled the challenge for everybody to begin with. Um, if you then, again, broadly look at everybody, fluid has got to be available it's got to be accessible and it's got to be attractive the three a's um so talk if, me through the three a's again the three a's. so available accessible and attractive um and if you are working towards making it available for anyone at any time of day it might be you're looking to set up um hydration stations but if you've got that extra consideration for somebody with dysphagia it might be you're producing separate jugs for them um, with colder fluids that are pre-thickened okay. um, and you've got to make sure that that thickness level is maintained um, so there are some thickness that are that are great for for being able to do that okay in terms of um accessible if it's a hot drinks it means you've got to offer it a whole lot more okay um because of you're not going to um leave a hot drink thickened to just go cold you, you, you've got to make sure that it's it's there as much as possible um and attractive i think if people don't necessarily have that thirst sensation whether you have dysphagia or not mm. um you've got to make sure that you're tempting people um just like yeah. if we're at a party and somebody's bringing a handful of you know a tray full of drinks um so you've got all of the there are so many challenges with hydration without having dysphagia totally. and you, you you just completely um possibly exacerbate a problem yeah um when somebody has dysphagia so you've just got to go all out you've got to go all um, out and really prioritize it as well yeah yeah and it could be that you get creative and you start using jellies and you start using 
um, you know, thicker. Um, I was going to say ice lollies, that would not be something suitable um, for somebody who needs thickened fluid because of the way it would melt down. Um, but it might be certain jellies are suitable. Um, so incredibly creative um, and staying on it. And I think that, again, a lot of that goes back to a massive hydration piece. Um, yeah, absolutely. And where do care homes um, get further support in terms of access, as accessing resources to help creativity? Was that part of the training that you would offer? Um, so, there, I mean, there are some wonderful, wonderful organisations um, who support with nutrition and hydration. So, for example, you've got the, the NACC, um, which is a National Association of Care Catering, um, a membership only organisation, um, which comprises of care providers and care suppliers, not necessarily just care homes at all. Mm-hmm. Um, networking getting together having webinars and there's best practice guides that they produce um so for example there is one around menu planning there is one around regulation um and there's um yeah they can help support chefs as well there's care chef competitions and what have you just to try and improve the standards in the industry so you've got organizations like that um you've got i mean there's team of three individuals that started off nutrition hydration week yeah um which is a bit of a social when when is that so it's just past this year it was in it was in mid-march um so sadly we picked um yeah we're speaking a little bit after that um but having said that they have resources and tools all year round um to support people for example nutritional champions um if a site was wanting to train nutritional champions um, they've got their 10 characteristics of good nutritional care, mm. which I think a, a lot of the NHS have adopted okay. as well. Um, so quite influential. Um, so I would say they're, they're, they're top two. And then you've got your natural um, you know, regulation best practice, the likes of NICE, um, yeah. which yeah. is yeah, National Institute of Clinical Excellence. Yeah. So if you were a health professional needing to write policies and procedures, that would be one of your benchmarks that you're going by to making sure that you meet all your regulations and so forth. Yeah, fantastic. So it sounds like there's a lot of lots of support um, that care homes can access. And I love the idea of the champion, championing um, or identifying somebody who can kind of champion either the hydration or making sure that the dysphagia patients are well looked after. Um, Sophie, uh, our time together has flown. It's been fantastic talking to you. Um, and at the end of each podcast, what I ask our speakers to give our listeners is their top three tips um, from the conversations that we've had. So the title of this podcast is Supporting Nutrition and Hydration for Dysphagia Patients in Care Homes. What would your three top takeaways be for our listeners today? Understand the topic first, understand what the challenges are um, and know that you need to achieve enjoyment Mm -hmm. um, of people's food. So you need to understand what all of their preferences are. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to ensure their nutritional needs are met Mm -hmm. um, and you need to screen and monitor Fantastic tips. Sophie, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you, Lenya. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Medical Nutrition. If you enjoyed the podcast and found the content useful, please share it with your colleagues and consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. 
For more information on this topic or to share your feedback, please visit the Nestle Health Science N Plus Hub or click on the link in the show notes.